the same old tune, fiddle and guitar. Where do we take it from here? Rhinestone suits and new shiny cars. It's been the same way for years. We need to change. Hello and welcome to Tax News with Glenn, Glenn Birnbaum. Uh, Glenn, hey, we were talking before we got started here, and you wanted to talk about the cash basis versus accrual basis. So give a little background on that and why uh, why one's more important or one is more beneficial than another. Yeah, Casey, we thought we'd just follow up on our last last week's discussion about, you know, that we think lenders are going to require more, you know, more of an accrual basis financial statement, possibly that a CPA has looked at or review versus an audit, some of those things, you know, that lenders are going to require this. And I talked a little bit about, you know, the difference between accrual basis income or what we call book income and then cash basis income and what we call taxable income. So without we get more specific on, hey, what's the type of adjustments that you would make um, to take your books from cash basis, which the vast majority of our farm clients that we have, you know, are cash basis, to take them from cash basis to accrual basis. So that's, that's where our discussion is going to be at today. Good. All right. So I guess first thing, there is this organization called the Farm Financial Standards Council. And so, you, you know, you can Google that, check out that website. Um, they do provide um, quite a bit of information uh, about how farmers really should try to keep their books because accounting for farming is a little unique. You know, it is it is kind of manufacturing, but it's really not manufacturing from an accounting perspective. So encourage you know you to check that out again it's the farm financial standards council has a lot more specifics but i just thought i'd kind of hit some highlights today so if we're talking about accrual basis you know book income is what we call it there's there's several things that we we would have to adjust for one of them would be book depreciation okay so you know for tax purposes we can probably write off equipment very fast um, possibly all in the first year right or, or over a very short period of time well, for book purposes, you really would not want to do that, right? Because you would you would try to estimate. This is one of the tougher things. Well, there's some judgment calls here. This is one of the bigger judgment calls is, you know, how long of a life should I use for this piece of equipment? You know, and I might encourage them to talk to somebody like you, right? And you, know, you have a pretty good sense, you know, about, you know, how, how does, what is actual economic depreciation, right, on a tractor, on a combine? You know, actual economic depreciation. And sometimes you may have to factor in salvage value. Right. For tax purposes, you just write this thing off over, even if it's over five or seven years, you know, not in the first year, but you write it off to zero, right? Down to zero. Well, you know, generally speaking, right, a tractor or combine is going to have still some value after five years, after seven years, whatever it might be. So definitely you have to make some judgment calls on that. But you generally are going to use maybe more of a straight line life. And again, maybe have a salvage value, but it's not going to be near as fast a depreciation as it is going to be on your tax return, right? It's more of a gradual economic depreciation. So that's that's one of the bigger judgment calls you'd have to do. You'd have to almost go back and kind of recreate your book depreciation schedule. But once you do it once, it's not that hard to keep up with. But that first time you do it right, it's tough. But once you do it, and I, then you'd have, you know, my policy is going to be, you know, it's going to be X number of years for combines or X, X number of years for tractors, right? You, you kind of set an accounting policy. So that requires some work. Um, that's one of the bigger judgment calls. Now, other things look quite a bit easier, right? If I'm paying for fertilizer for next year or chemicals for next year, I'm not going to immediately expense that, right? Because that's for next year's crops. So that's going to be a prepaid crop expense. So that's going to be actually an asset on our books, 
we're not going to just expense that. We're going to treat that as an asset. So, you know, that's pretty easy to do, right? You just kind of have to go through and accumulate what, what expenses are for, you know, 2019, what are for 2018, and just kind of match it off of that. Same thing with cash rent, right? If I'm paying for next year's cash rent or, or if I'm, if I'm not paying, you know, if I've got accrued cash rent, right? So at the end of the year, I haven't paid my full rent for 2018, you know, for book purposes, you'd have to book that as a liability, right? You couldn't just say, well, yeah, I only paid, you know, half my rent, you know, you got to match it up, right? So prepaid expenses, crop expenses, prepaid rent or accrued rent, those are pretty easy to do. I mean, at least you know the number. It takes a little effort to maybe have to do a schedule of all your all the land you farm, but, you know, pretty easy. Just matching principle is, is the key thing. Now, one of the bigger adjustments that you make, and this is different than a manufacturer, um, is you've grown the grain, right? It's in a bin or it's at the elevator or whatever it might be, but you haven't sold it, right? And so normal accounting would say, well, don't recognize revenue until you've actually, you know, lined up a customer, right? If I'm making widgets, I can't sell, you know, mark my cost up to market because I don't actually have a customer. I haven't, I haven't delivered the product, right? So that's basic accounting 101 there. But for farming, there's a special rule that says, hey, if you're growing a commodity, i.e. like, you know, corn or beans, whatever it might be, wheat, and you've harvested it, right, and it's in your bin or it's at the elevator, you can use a market price for that commodity. This is very unusual for accounting. Accountants don't like this, I'll be honest. It's just different. But it's very simple. I mean, farm accounting makes sense. So the only thing you have to make sure you do is, you know, if it, if it costs you 10 cents to truck it to the elevator, or, you know, right, you got to factor in that trucking cost. But you actually are going to use the market value of your crop, even if you haven't sold it. Right, so revenue under this book accounting is your yield, right? The number of bushels you produce times a market price if you haven't sold any of it. So it's very, accountants don't like this normal accounting, right? Because if I haven't sold anything, I don't have revenue normally, right? But for farm accounting, if you've produced it and there's an established price, you just, you market to market, okay? Now, obviously, if you've priced some of those bushels, but, you know, but maybe it's for January delivery or something. Then you would use the market price for the bushels you price. But the unpriced bushels, you use just whatever that bid price is on 12 for one, let's say, if you're doing accounting. So the thing to keep in mind there is it's unrealized, right? So, you know, either good or bad, right, it could hurt you. Now, last year, cash prices were, as I recall, in our area, they were pretty low on December 31st. They might have been like 320 or something, just say, right? So if we've got a farmer we're doing books for, for this true accrual basis accounting, we'd use 320 on any bushels that they had priced. Now, if in, in the next year, if that was at 1231.17, if next year in 2018 they sold those bushels for 360, let's say, right, you know, because the market did rally there, could have been more than that, let's just say 360, then that 40 cents difference, right, 360 versus 320 would actually show up as profit or revenue in 2018. Okay. Even so, if you didn't sell it? Even if you didn't, well, and if you sold it, yeah, okay. yeah, if you sold it 2018 at 360, okay, right? All right, all right. But you last year we used 320, then you're not going to record the full 360 again. It's just going to be that 40 cents difference is uh, going to be revenue. So, um, but it can go the other way, right? If it was 320 and then I sold it for 290, right? That's a 30 cent hit. So it's economic, but it's still very much subject to the market whims, right? So it almost penalizes you. It says, hey, Act like you sold it for the market price. If it goes up, if it goes down, you're gonna you're, there's gonna be a reminder that hey, you know, 
I darn it, I should have sold it for 320, right? Because it's 290 now, or vice versa. So, and usually we try to maybe just identify that difference, you know, that 40 cents, just to kind of know that, okay, well, part of this is somewhat just because, you know, we sold it, we acted like we sold it at 320 before. So that's the biggest takeaway. But, but in simple terms, it's just your yield times your price, right? That's your revenue for the year. If you produce these bushels in the calendar 2017, 2018, whatever year we're talking about, that's your obviously bushels, and you just got to take it times the price. If you've sold it, if you've actually priced it, you use that price. If you haven't sold it, you use the market price at the date of the financial statements. So there's not much judgment involved, right? It's pretty clear what, what price you're going to use. You, you can look at different different terminals, different elevators, right, and pick the best price. But um, there's not near as much judgment as like that book depreciation we were talking about. So. So the, the same thing goes to true if you've got grain contracts um, for next year. This gets a little more complicated, but you know if you if you've got a contract for 2019 or 2020, right, and you haven't produced any crop, then you really should mark that contract to market as well, right? So if I enter into that contract on May 31st and you know the price was 360, and now at December 31st the price is 350, right? You'd have a, a mark to market on a grain on just a pure grain contract as well. If it doesn't relate to the crop year we're talking about, so same we would be the, very much the same as your futures kind, right? You know, if you got a board of trade account, the board of trade account marks the thing to market every day, right? Right. You have margin calls, so it's very easy to get to get those prices. So it's really a mar- it's a market value for your grain and a market value for any sort of grain contracts. So lenders kind of like to see that because like, it's actual market value, right? So you, the good thing is, Casey, you don't have to worry about what your costs are. You know what I'm saying? At some point, you do, but then once you've grown it, the accounting says, well, we're going to just market to market. So it's kind of weird. Um, you kind of throw costs out the window. I mean, your costs are still your expenses, but you don't actually cost it. Whereas most manufacturers, you know, if they're making farm equipment, they're going to, hey, what are my costs to make this combine? Right. You know, and if it costs them $200,000 to make this combine, but they can sell it for $350,000, just kind of using some rough numbers, right? They don't get to mark the combine to market for 350000 just because they built the combine. They've got to actually have a buyer and have yeah. delivered the combine. So it's different. So that, again, a lot, even, even, you know, accountants that are very used to, you know, accounting and accrual basis can, can struggle with farm accounting because of that mark to market aspect. All right. So what happens if I'm, uh, how do you do that mark? Okay. So you, you cut your grain, you put it in the bin, yep. you mark it to market. And then, but at the same time, you also sell, 25% of your wheat after right after you cut it. How does yeah. that how does that affect the overall outcome of what you do? So if you've sold it, if, I mean, so you're talking about there's wheat in the bin, right? right. You got so, 100,000 bushels of wheat in the bin, let's say. Yeah. And if you if if you if you sold 25,000 bushels, let's say five dollars, you know, then that's the price you'd use on those 25,000 bushels is five bucks. Right. Again, in theory, you should have transportation too, right? If it costs you a little bit to get it there. But then the other 75,000 bushels, you just use whatever the bid price is at your at 12:31, let's say, if that's your financial statement date. So if I sold a Ford contract for five bucks, but the board price is whatever 485 or whatever, yeah. And there's no like profit or anything that comes into that like there's no the difference between the five bucks and the 40 15 yeah. cents a bushel there's no like, it, well i mean that would be in your i mean ultimately your profitability is what you're going to sell it for mm-hmm. less less your cost right so mm-hmm. we know what your costs are we got to watch that with prepaid expenses and accrued rent but my cost and so if i sold it for five dollars that's going to be more profit 
than just using the market price of four eighty five in your example. Okay. Now keep in mind, you're really talking a cash bid, not a futures bid, right? For this right. purpose, right? Because it's it's an actual cash bid to, to get it to the whatever point your delivery is. So, right now, uh, yeah. but if you just have a futures contract out there, then you would the thing to keep in mind is apples to apples. If I have a futures contract for four eighty five. And now the futures contract is five twenty five. It's a it's a futures contract. Then I would mark that to you know I there'd be you know profit or loss on that. So what you just use whatever that current day's yep. bid. So just tomorrow, I, so today if I wake up and it's forty five, and tomorrow yep. I go to, I wake up and it's four ninety, and I Correct. that's the day I put my boot in the bin. It's four ninety. Right. Now again, so you don't want to be doing this every day, even every week. So you know, right. you you def, for sure you do this at twelve thirty one, right? If you're giving something to the bank, right. whether you do this on every quarter, even right? You know, public companies do a quarterly thing. But should you do this at September thirtieth? I mean, because it's kind of pointless at some point, right? Because mm -hmm. that's what you talk to Chip about. You know, I mean, obviously every you know a few cents, I'm gonna hey now I'm gonna book profit because the grain market went up a few cents. I mean that is true. Yeah. But you generally don't adjust this all the time. It's maybe. Maybe after harvest, right, yeah. when you've got everything in the bin, you don't bother with, you know, trying to estimate the value of your growing crops. That's a whole other thing, right? What if we're doing our book says of August 31st here in Illinois and the crop's pretty much made at that point? Yeah. Do you go to the trouble of saying, well, here's the value, and I, but I still got to harvest it? I mean, it's a lot of work for nothing, right? So typically you'd like to say, well, I'm just going to wait until I got all the grain in my bin to, to do this mark to market because right. it is unrealized, right? We're just... It's kind of like the stock market, right? You know, if, if Caterpillar here in Peoria, you know, is a big company. You know, if, if Caterpillar stock goes up five dollars a share, you know, a lot of people around here, you know, are making money, right? Because they own cat stock. But but if they don't sell it, it's not really money in their pockets. So right. okay. it's just kind of a compromise. Because the alternative is, you know, you just use cost. And again, because grain is so, it's a commodity, and you've got a ready market. Accounting says, hey, you can use a market price. Very unusual that you can do this in accounting. Most of the times, you have to have a customer. So. So yeah. I hope that makes sense. But yeah, you wouldn't do this every week or so oil, every month. Oil, like, stuff like oil and natural gas, stuff like that would all fall into the same realm? It would, yeah. We don't have any clients in that realm, but it's really a commodity where there's an established market. And again, just kind of take off your um, – and there, there's different rules, but but it, it's it's similar. Right? So I think it would – you know, you could have that be your method of accounting. And as long as you, you're kind of – Part of these financial statements tell the tell the lender, you know, hey, here's how we're doing things, right? You'd have a note that would say, be very clear to the lender how you're doing, how you're recording, you know, your revenue and things, just to just to communicate how you're doing it. So this is generally viewed as the best way, just because it's not perfect, but it's a lot simpler because you don't have to even track your cost that well, right? What's my cost cost per bushel on corn versus beans? It really doesn't matter, right? Right. And it does matter when you're actually doing crop budgets, but at the end of the day, it's just hey. Just let the chips fall where they may and act like I sold all my grain that, that I have unpriced at the bid price. So it can kind of put a shock into you too, right? Hey, maybe I should sell it. You know, if corn was four bucks at December 31st and you didn't sell, you know, you, you kind of kick yourself later. So it kind of forced you to say, hey, I could be selling this grain at the market price every day or every month. And so it's it's not a bad uh, not a bad thought process to get through is, well, what if I was forced to sell all my grain at the bid price? Am I going to be profitable or not? And so, that, you know, it'll clearly tell you that. You know, these the financial statements would tell you that, obviously. Right on. Okay. So, so that's the biggest thing, the grain. You know, the other some of the other things, um, 
we talked about accrued rent, um, accrued interest. You know, again, if just because you haven't paid your loan payment, you know, there's still interest accruing every day, right? You know, with John Deere Financial, whoever it might be. So you know, you'd have to book those liabilities. Um, accrued real estate taxes, you know, property taxes on your farmland, right? You would record a, an expense almost every month, right? Because it's a, you know, not just when you make the payment here in Illinois, we make payments, you know, twice a year. So you wouldn't put all your expense in the two months you make the payment, right? You, you want to gradually spread that out. And, and things like that. So um, the other thing is, is your one of the bigger things for lenders is they like to know what your working capital is or your current ratio. These are two different. They're kind of two, two of the same. Another flip side of the coin, you could say, current ratio and working capital are talking about the same thing. It's just a little different take on the ratio. But one of the big things is knowing what the current maturities of your long-term debt are. So I know I have, you know, $5 million of debt, let's say, but how much of that is due? How much principal is due in the next year? And so if, if it's due in the next year, I have to treat that as a current liability. And it's not a long-term liability because obviously, you know, it's due in the next year. So I compare that to my cash on hand, my grain on hand, my prepaid expenses. Those, those are current assets, right? Cash, grain, because I'm likely to convert those to cash in the next year. So so that's a big thing lenders like to see. Um, it's, it's not that hard to do, but you have to know your schedule of payments on all your debt, right? And then just say, hey, what's what's the what's due in the next year? And so that can really help you with crop budgets. If, you, if you're starting to work on crop budgets for next year, you know, for cash flow purposes, because we've talked a lot about today, Casey, for, you know, book income, accrual basis purposes. But for cash flow purposes, right, you need to know, you know, when, when are these loan payments coming due, what months even, but at least on your financials, all that they require is, hey, how much of these loan payments are due in the next year? And if you're going to have a problem on your hands, you can right, you can anticipate that and work with your lender, hopefully to, to get something moved. So, so that's a that's a, a very common adjustment as well. So, okay. good deal. <clears throat> All right, well, lots of stuff to think about there as usual, Glenn. But if guys want to get more information about this and uh, reach out to you, how would they do that? Yeah, best thing you know here at Heinold Banworks, we're in East Peoria, Illinois. Our phone number is three zero nine six nine four. Four two five one. I'd be happy to talk to anybody as, as you're, you know, again working on your crop budgets, whatever it might be. Um, definitely check out that Farm Financial Standards website, um, but then also look me up on Twitter at, at Glenn Burnbaum. Okay. What was the web? What was that website? One more time. Uh, Farm Financial Standards Council. If you Google that, um, a, it's a, it's just a, a, a lot of good people get together on what's the best way to. To, you know, there's accounting standards that come out for the masses, right? You know, and there's there's new ones coming out every year about how you know big companies, manufacturers, you know, retailers should apply these standards. For farming, it's kind of unique. You know, agriculture producers, it's a unique it's a unique take on it. So they have their own almost their own standards that they've published. And so definitely, you know, if if you're curious at all, if, if banks are asking about it, you know, it's it's a good resource. Farm Financial Standards Council. Right on. Okay, Glenn. All right, Glenn. Well, hey, have a good week. And uh, the rest of this week, I guess. And we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, buddy. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here.